This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Maggie Hamilton, welcome to Better Reading. Lovely to be with you. Yeah, it's really nice. Maggie and I have known each other over the years. She's written over a dozen books which have been published in Australia and overseas. Her social research books include What Men Don't Talk About, What's Happening to Our Girls and What's Happening to Our Boys. Maggie also writes for magazines, gives talks, workshops and lectures and is a seasoned media performer with a keen interest in social trends. Her new book, When We Become Strangers, offers a series of intimate snapshots around loneliness, looking at the many unexpected ways loneliness leaks into our lives and how to do things better and differently. Well, it's so timely, isn't it? Yes, look, it's astonishing because, of course, you know, doing these books is is two or three years' work. So, you know, I mean, who would have thought we'd have landed with COVID? But and, And what I love about each of the topics I've looked at is Really, Cheryl, it's a journey of discovery as much for me as it is the reader that, you know, I end up learning probably about 80% of the content of each of these pieces of work is new to me, which is what I love because I'm a fairly curious kind of person. And I love to get under the skin of. So Mm. with this, what I wanted and the reason I called it Strangers is that I think we're all aware that we've, you know, we talk about fragmentation of society and people being lonely. But what I've come to see is that we all have ways in which estrange, we're becoming estranged, not just from each other and from, you know, our communities, et cetera, but also from who we are as people and, and what what our passions are. And I think that's really important, not only for our health and our mental health and well-being, but also if we're living somebody else's dream, we never get to contribute in a small or large way to those around us. And so I feel it has a real consequence for the richness of our lived experience with ourselves and each other. The loneliness conversation has been going on for some time pre-COVID and I think it was, you know, certainly brought to the forefront through COVID. But when we talk about how our lifestyle, how we're living, the effects of social media, but not only social media, like, you know, things like email, the tools that we now need to run a business. And I think email has been more detrimental, I think, to the way we live our lives and social media in a way, uh, because we're so glued to work. But it goes back a few years now. It's been happening over a long time. And I think it's because we're working harder, we're living longer, and you know, right, we were busier. Um, And that really, it it kind of, 
is also representative of who we are in our 20s and 30s and 40s. And it's interesting because now that I'm older, I'm starting to reflect on this. Um, yes. You know, pre-COVID and certainly through COVID, it had a huge impact on me. And we, can, we can talk about that. But one of the things, and you touch on this in your book, is I really do think the fact that people are self-obsessed in so many ways, like with diet and exercise and going to the gym and whatever, it all fills in our time and really isolates us more and more. Don't you think? I do. And I think what what really interested me about this was just so many little habits we have mm. around us. And if we look at streaming, I mean, hey, who doesn't enjoy sitting down with Netflix, The Crown or, you know, mm. whatever's happening at the time? And it is a great come down from, from the day. But what the research is showing is particularly amongst millennials, although I do want to emphasize this is not about a book about millennial bashing because we all contribute. But what the research shows is that increasing numbers of that generation are, are um, you know, streaming rather than getting out with friends. And they're actually breaking uh, arrangements they've had with friends so that they can continue to binge. And they're actually binging at work as well. They're binging, you know, certainly pre-COVID, um, they were binging on the uh, train going into work and in, at the gym. So how can you possibly have a relationship with the world around you, including the environment, which, as we know, is in crisis? Um, and particularly but when you're not looking at people. I often get pulled up by friends. You know, I was waiting for a coffee the other day and my friend was getting the coffee and he came out and I was talking to this woman with the puppy dog and he said, oh, do you know her? No, we just met. And if I had had my screen out, we wouldn't have had that conversation. And it is, I think, too, the fact that we're looking down and we're looking at a screen, we block the eye contact, the facial expressions, all those connections that yes. even sometimes making a connection when somebody smiles at you when you're walking in the park is a form of community in a way, isn't it? It absolutely is. And I'm so glad you've mentioned that because what we're now finding with our kids, for instance, the iGen, is they are the, the loneliest generation. They're actually lonelier than, you know, people in their 60s, 70s, 80s who, you know, often become socially isolated, particularly if they've got health issues. And that's because they're spending all the time or much of the time in the bedroom with their devices. So what parents aren't realising is that becomes a habit to lock yourself away. But there's other stuff as well for our kids is that um, they're not being held. So, and they're not getting touch like they were, you know, kind of being cuddled up and stuff. And so we're now seeing that small kids are actually getting medical issues that only people in their 50s and 60s were, were getting because of lack of touch. And as you were mentioning, talking to a, a complete stranger while you're getting your coffee, the younger generations do not have the social skills that come easily, at least, to be able to strike up conversation with a stranger. And also that impacts, obviously, their ability then to connect and create community as they get out into the world. And, and that's a real issue. And not to mention at work, you know, if you're not great at the face-to-face, -face, how do you deal with that really difficult oh, customer? Oh, don't get, 
don't get me started about work, Maggie. Do you know, I am so, and you're probably the same, and I think I am perceived as old-fashioned in the office. But I, I, I'm there sometimes, and you know, one of, and I have, I've got a fabulous team, and I adore all of them. But the younger people, in particular, they're having a problem with somebody, for instance. Oh, you know, I'm not getting what I want from so and so. Oh, have you picked up the phone? No, no. they're never going to pick up the phone. They're never going to talk to that person. I said, stop emailing, pick up the phone, and have connect. A- Get a conversation going because it is so much easier. I am such a phone person still, but I do think it's very, very different. I mean, I I love the value of a quick text and I love the value. Of course, of course. But a conversation, it's really, I think, so crucial in our work well-being and in our our life well-being. And it is also the words we use. This is one of the things that I looked into is, the research on spin. And I think this is going to be really important as workplaces now navigate, you know, the COVID realities and as we emerge from COVID. But that what happens when people aren't confident as managers is they resort to spin, they resort to weasel words. And people react really badly to that. Even if somebody's being quite truthful, it actually it comes across as somebody lying because it takes courage to be authentic and to actually tell people how it is kindly. And so there's a lot of nuances, I think, to really get right. And I mean, what started me off on this journey was there's this wonderful, wonderful Danish architect. He's now 80, called Jan Gale, and he's worked all over the world, including in Melbourne. And he came into architecture at the time when cities were kind of, you know, high rise and concrete freeways and, you know, really when cities were given over to cars rather than, you know, being able to walk freely. And he's reversed that process. And one of the reasons he well, two reasons he did this is one, he did a grand tour of the old European cities like Venice, et cetera, and he noticed how walkable, but not only that, how physically comfortable they were for us. And so he then went off and studied human interaction with space. And he actually found through human biology that there's actually like a mathematical formula of height and width and stuff that we feel um, comfortable, which he called human scale. And so this is what he's been trying to inject into cities. And I've, I've looked at this and some of the fabulous things that people are doing around the world just by space so that even if we're sitting having a coffee, so it may be a high-rise buildings all around us, but if they've got awnings and trees and fountains and you've got this formula happening, you can sit alone with a cup of coffee and feel totally engaged. Mm. And he calls this a human scale, Cheryl. And this is what I think in in this speed, in, in this love affair with tech and this kind of drifting away from solid connection is that we're losing that human scale. We're losing the human presence in the situation, whether it's at work, whether it's in the way we're designing our cities, the way we're interacting in our communities. But the exciting thing is you start to reverse that and people really take to it. And I mean, we all know we love Melbourne for its alleyways and Federation Square and that that was all young Gail's work. 
And, you know, people will jump on a plane to experience that, you know, apart from all the other things that Melbourne has to offer. But, yeah, it is this thing of we can never, it doesn't matter how sophisticated, we need that one-on-one connection to thrive. So, I mean, I know you started writing this book, as you said, way before COVID, but talk to me about it's, I have friends in the United States and, you know, they've, perpetually been in lockdown and it's been yes. horrendous. Yeah. Whereas here we've been given quite a bit of respite. So my f- first response, just like everybody else, was in total shock. Like, you know, how did we get here? How did this happen? Yeah. Uh, and I've talked about this before on the podcast. Like for me, my, you know, and as you know, I like cooking. Um, yes. uh, because I think that cooking for me was about people. Yes. I, I couldn't cook for the first couple of weeks. I couldn't. I no. really felt really very lonely and very isolated. And I've lived by myself for a very long time. But all yeah. of a sudden, it was a different kind of ball game entirely. Yeah. A lot of the activities that I've done over my life have involved people or around people. Yes. And you take those people out, and I had to really reconnect. I had to, you know, get used to cooking for myself, which I didn't really like all that much. But I had to change a lot of behaviour, and of course now I'm used to it. And if you would go back into lockdown now, I'd probably be better at it, of course. Uh, but talk to me about that and loneliness, because that has been that is a total left field shift, isn't it? It is, and I think. Uh, There's no doubt about it that it has, in a sense, it's plunged us profoundly into our own space and and has been confronting, very for some, mildly for others, but confronting for all of us. I think the gift of it is that we perhaps have become more comfortable with being in our own space and not so much in that world where everything's curated, where we run around having to see the new movies, try the new restaurant um, or, you know, fashion, whatever it is that we have highly curated in our lives, to really start to ponder some of the things that we really want out the other side. And I think that is really powerful. And I think also a connection with nature and with animals. I mean, we know that there's more animals being bought since COVID and we just hope that they're going to be looked after long term. And also out of nature, because that's the only thing often we could do is go for a walk in the park or even in the streets. And when you're in that lonely process or in that solitary process, suddenly we start to notice the seasons. I have never noticed the seasons so much, the trees, etc. And so I think that is the gift we bring out of it. But I think, and I know that you love gathering people together and meals, and it's such a beautiful thing. And in fact, uh, one of the things that I looked at in the book was the Uber Eats, the streaming um, mm. phenomenon. And what they found is that people who eat alone long term, it has dramatic impacts on their health. I mean, it's all, like I found it. I found it awful. It really, yes. I tried to jazz it up and I tried to go with it because that this is what I have and I do have yeah. the kind of personality to try and make the most out of it. But, do you know, the day that it was announced that I could have three people round, I had Fabulous. three people yes. <laughs> 
and for dinner. I had to do it. I mean, and I know a lot of people have to eat alone, but it's, I found it's, it very hard going. And the thing is, I mean, you're a fabulous cook, Cheryl. I think for a lot of people, they're not very comfortable in the kitchen, but there's so many things you can do. The impromptu picnic with friends in the park, you're in an apartment building, I'm in an apartment building. We have potluck dinners. Mm. Yeah, as soon as COVID lifted, you know, we'd have um, or we'd just bake a risotto or something. But potluck is great if you're not a particularly confident person to have but you have people around, have everybody bring something because it's the sharing of food. And this is what... It's the act, isn't it? It's, it's the, the older cultures. And I'm sure it's from your cultural heritage, mm-hmm. Cheryl, that you've grown up with a very rich cultural heritage where food is, it's a blessing, it's a celebration. And this is what I think our journey back from estrangement is about. For me, having gone on this big journey with the book, it's about how can we make our communities more vibrant, you know, and we look at wall art and all sorts of things that we can do. How do we make it more human scale? How do we make our city more human Mm. scale? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In the middle of that isolation period. And, you know, as I say, we've been so lucky. I can't remember how long it was, but it's nowhere near what other people have had to endure. Um, And I was feeling, as I said, terrible. But my niece came up with this idea, right? One of my nieces, where she put names in a hash and you were, you got somebody and you had to cook a meal for that person and that person cooked a meal for you. Oh, how fabulous. And then you, you dropped it off contactless, if you like, you know, you had to. To drop it at the front door or whatever. What a fantastic idea. Wasn't brilliant? It really changed it for me because oh. I cooked that meal. I cooked it knowing that, it, you know, Lauren was who I got and she got me. It, it was wow. brilliant. Great, isn't it? And little and, things you can do. And that's, I think that's the secret of it. You know, we can, because I think a lot of discussions around loneliness, it's it's kind of all in the head and it's the anxiety levels here and the stress levels are there. But really, it's about what is the human need in this moment, really? I guess that's what I've tried to look at in the book. What is the human need in this moment? And what is the teeny tiniest thing you can do as a loving act. I mean, one of the things in our building um, is that uh, because there's security, you know, you can only kind of access your floor as a resident, but that neighbours bring up each other's passports for them. And so, you know, you get home from something and you might have come in the car so you weren't going past the post box 
And it's like, you know, Santa's been, and it's just that moment of kindness that just warms the space. And this is, I think we've made things very complex, but really it's about injecting more joy and not worrying so much about, you know, it's not about waiting till you have all the right crockery for the dinner party. Just get people round and enjoy it and enjoy we've got to learn to enjoy our cities and communities in new ways. I mean, I actually think our communities have really benefited from COVID, you know, and particularly the cafes that stayed open with the takeaway coffees or lattes, whatever we're having. Um, Often that was the only human contact you had in the day and it was so precious. And then you'd walk away with your hot cup of chai, whatever it was, and you'd feel you again warmed by that moment, mm. but your niece, she's a girl going places, Cheryl. I love that. Wasn't that a brilliant? Tell idea? her to keep them coming. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I loved it, and I needed it at that time so badly. I think you're right. Just having those connections, and do you know what else too? Um, and people often say to me, "Oh, you know, but you're different. You've got such a full life. You've got a lot of friends, a lot of people around you." But it is about making the effort to be connected as well. That's absolutely right. Isn't it? It it is. And I think it's also respect. I've done a whole section on online dating because, you know, there's been a lot of stuff happening there that is not respectful. Mm. But what's interesting since COVID is that people have now been forced to have extended conversations with each other before they could ever meet. And that's really about recognising there's another person in this exchange, which is exactly what you're talking about. It's a kindness, really. Mm. But it's also a reaching out as well. Where I think technology is fantastic. You know, I can't fathom now how I used to organise friends for dinner. Did I ring seven people? I must have, right? You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. now it's easier. You can send That's right. Text. You can send a group text to seven people or five people or four people. And people say, oh, you're lucky. Well, no, I'm not lucky. I sent that text. You made the and effort. You made the effort. Yeah. And I think more and more I talk about that to people in terms of loneliness, that you can't sit there and wait for it to come to you. No, no. And I think one of the, and certainly, you know, the research shows this with the millennials, but I think we've all got a touch of this because we have so many, you know, whether it's Instagram or mags or whatever, lifestyle programs where we're presented with perfection all all the time, the perfectly plated food, the whatever, the whatever, that we get almost paralysed by the possibility of doing something. We want to do it, but we feel that it has to be perfect and it doesn't have to be perfect it just has to be thoughtful and in a lot of ways it's the spontaneous things, as you say, the making the effort, the reaching out. Do you want to go for a cup of coffee? Do you want to go for a walk in the park? Let's get together for dinner. Let's all just bring a dish and focus on on the connection of the moment, not on whether or not, you know, you've perfected 10 dishes and feel that you can do this supercharged dinner party. And I think we've really got to watch that perfection because it kind of, it's paralyzing, I Mm. think. I think you're right too. And I think COVID has shown us that there are lots of ways of doing things. So, you know, just sitting on a park bench and having a coffee, that's a thing now, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's nice. And it is, you know, one of the things living in Sydney, 
we often go for a walk in botanical gardens and particularly in lockdown when it wasn't serious lockdown but things were still locked down that weekly walk around botanical gardens I felt like I'd I'd you know, had a trip to Europe or something. <laughs> There's a lot of beauty locally. There's a lot of beauty. And I think this is the thing with the next period before we're allowed to take off and do other things elsewhere is to really enjoy where we are at to another level and appreciate it. We've just had a weekend in Canberra and I hadn't been to the National Portrait Gallery. And wow, what a beautiful building and collection. And to feel really proud of what we're doing. So again, it's that taking notice of and and delight in. And that's what gives us a rich life. I think young Gail is an absolute hero with what he's done around the world in, in big city spaces because really he's not turning back the clock. He's saying to us, you know, it doesn't matter if you live in a big city, we can still create that human scale wherever we are with a little bit of thought and imagination. So it gets our creative juices going like your niece. Yeah, yeah. But also too, you're right in, in kind of looking around. I mean, I mean, I travelled and I know you, you, you've been a great traveller as well, but I was travelling at least two or three times a year yes. until recently. And that obviously all came to a stop. And for a long time, I was grieving it. But then I decided to take the tourist approach to Sydney. Oh, lovely. Isn't that something I love that. we should all think about? Because how yeah. beautiful is this city? And how many yeah. people from all around the world would love to come to Sydney? Yes. So I'm trying to do something different every Saturday and looking at it from a perspective of a tourist. Yeah. And I love that because really what I think a lot of this nudging ourselves out of estrangement, and I use that word a lot in the book because, you know, I think we get very hard on ourselves, but often it's just the tiniest nudge we need to get us to see in a new way, to be in a new way, to connect in a new way that isn't complex but does require us to to make that effort and allow ourselves to be surprised. And one of the things that I do look at is the flaneur, the, con- the French concept of the flaneur, which is actually to go to a part of town, which is exactly the sort of thing you're doing, um, but not necessarily on the tourist route and just follow your nose and see what you discover. And when we're curated and when we're busy all the time and distracted, there's no room for discovering curiosity. And that's when, you know, you get talking to somebody who's been the resident of that place for years and you learn this fabulous story about the, a suburb you didn't know about. You find that funny little secondhand shop. You go and have a lovely coffee somewhere in a funny little place and you come home absolutely filled up. So I think that idea of being the tourist is brilliant. And and just to add on the flaneur aspect, um, it just takes us to new places. Mm -hmm. You know what I found really interesting with your book, When We Become Strangers, is how minutely fixable everything is. Oh, lovely. I was hoping that that would be the case. Yeah. Yeah. You can turn it around in a day. Yes. Yes. And I think small actions. I think that's the thing. I think we've become so overwhelmed by detail and the amount of information we're getting. I think for parents, you know, now parents are responsible for the emotional health of their kids. So 
often for the very best of reasons, they fall into entertaining the kids because they're terrified if the kids are crying or something, that somehow they've failed. And it's about one of the things I've tried to get parents to look at is to actually have faith in their own responses to what's needed in this moment. You know, perhaps it's just to go to go out and have a walk you know, in the local park or get into that imaginative play again with kids where they don't need 2,000 toys, but they might just need a pair of scissors and some glue and coloured paper and whatever. A toilet roll. <laughs> a toilet roll and just let see yep. what they do with it. Yeah. So to it's really, I think, about simplification so that there's room for a different kind of complexity that is exciting, that is multi-layered, that that is about food and celebration, about conversation, those those chance conversations you have with people that you may never meet again, those places in, in different suburbs. One of the things we started to do before COVID with a group of friends was to go to some of the suburbs in Sydney that we wouldn't necessarily get to that are known to be different ethnic groups there and go to the mum and dad for mica table Fantastic. little restaurants. And we had the best nights there and the go to the local providors while we're there and we were welcomed with such warmth we had lots of laughter amazing food and then back on the train home mm. so you know I'm looking forward to Cheryl almost like a renaissance of our own kind of sassiness and yeah willingness to do things a bit differently and with but injected with joy and that willingness to embrace others and to actually have the courage to embrace people who are very different from us because so much of the world is very split at the moment and that is a great thing about like going to these suburbs and you know partaking of the food it's a deeply you know we you do it as a respectful thing and as a learning thing, but it becomes a celebration of your shared humanity that we're all sharing mm. this city together but there are so many thousands of ways we're inhabiting that mm, and absolutely. it's absolutely. beautiful it is it really is uh, we've run out of time maggie what a wonderful conversation so great to catch up the book is called likewise Come strangers yeah um it really is i mean get get yourself a copy and read it because it's pretty simple stuff it's stuff that you can uh learn about read about and and make change immediately thank thanks you. cheryl thank you so much If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere.
it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.